0: On this prequel episode, we've got our The NeverEnding Story fan poll follow-up. We're discussing traumatizing kids' movies and previewing The NeverEnding Story 2, the next chapter. Hello and welcome back to the Stomeless Lit Podcast, where we talk about movies that are based on books. It's another prequel episode. April is not joining us for this prequel episode, but she will be back for our main episode... This coming Wednesday, uh, Tuesday night for patrons. On this episode, though, we have uh, a a lot of stuff to get to. uh, So we're going to jump right into our patron shout outs. First up, we have two new patrons this week. They are at the $5 Hugo Award winning level, Jesse Craig. Thank you, Jesse. And at the $15 Academy Award winner level, we have Jeff Niederhofer. Thank you, Jeff, for jumping on at the $15 Academy Award-winning level. Make sure you send us that patron request uh, of what you want us to talk about. All right, let's get to uh, the rest of our Academy Award-winning patrons as we do every single prequel episode. And they are, again, Jeff Niederhofer, <laughs> Jeff Niederhofer joining the ranks, Winchester's Forever, Kelly Napier, Gray Hightower, Eli Young's Gratch, just scratch, Selby says, "Black lives and trans lives matter." I listen most weeks for the podcast download numbers and Facebook al- algorithm discussion. And finally, Alina Dolletkalova. So that's our the second to last one. There's a, our our fifteen dollar patron who changed their name. I'm trying yes. to figure out exactly what
1: um, that that, is that in person to. actually messaged me um, to <laughs> let me know that the that they were being sincere and not like tongue in cheek because we we talk about like our trouble with the facebook
0: algorithm we do discuss that so much that <laughs> especially in the prequel episodes yeah. so, they're, so they're saying they listen to the prequels they, particularly they, they, they said they
1: find it interesting
0: Ah, huh, well there you go yeah uh i don't think we ever give specific download numbers but or are they saying to bump our numbers may,
1: maybe to bump our numbers okay. to help well we out appreciate that, it
0: nonetheless yeah. <laughs> uh either whether you're listening for us to talk about it or because you want to help us pump those numbers up um, <laughs> we appreciate you. Uh, but more so, we appreciate you for being a $15 patron. That's fantastic. All right, let's get into our fan poll follow up for The Never Ending Story, Part One. Yeah, well, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man.
1: All right, um, so we had uh, a good bit of feedback here. Our feedback was a little bit scattered around on different posts this time around that, yeah. for some reason. I think I got everything. Hopefully. If I left yours out, I apologize. If we left
0: yours out, <laughs> message us, like specifically message us on, on Facebook or whatever, uh, and we'll try to work it in in like the, the, oh, we don't get another prequel episode. Or sorry, on the, yes, on the next prequel episode where we do the part two follow up. If, yeah. If if yeah, yeah, we can do that. Yeah, if, if it's something, especially if it's something relevant to... Mm-hmm. the story overall then message us if we did miss yours
1: um so on facebook we got shafted with the poll once more as always well i tried using facebook's actual poll oh, feature did?
0: and it still didn't... which was
1: impossible to find might i add i think
0: they just don't like polls
1: they yeah it was like buried in the settings That's i had so to go strange. searching for it um but then i it, we got like even worse of, a Who knows? of feedback that i don't Who know knows? so anyway we had one vote for the movie and one for the book yeah. on facebook um and we did get a couple comments ian said i've always put off reading the book because of the spider <laughs> mirkwood shelob and the ungolent
0: ungoliant ungoliant i don't know
1: Are not fun reads for me, but I will make the attempt after I finish this current read. The movie is a nostalgic fun fest. The idea of interacting with a book is always appealing. The effects still hold up, and even in my 30s, the swamp of sadness and the Rockbiter's deep existential depression still make my eyes well up. I'm glad they didn't have Artax talk, otherwise it becomes (laughs) (laughs) soul-crushing.
0: I wish they made him talk, but he literally did sound and talk like Mr. Ed. He was like, No, I try you. <laughs> I don't wanna die. Or whatever. you know, it's like doing the, the like Mr. Ed voice. That would be That
1: would be terrible.
0: Hilarious. I, surely there's a fan edit out there of like the Mr. Ed voice of a tray or <laughs> anyways. Uh.
1: and another comment um, from Luciana who said, definitely the book. I read it so often as a kid that my copy fell apart. I can't seem to vote in the poll for some reason, though. Um, Or maybe I just can't tech today. Um, I'm in Germany, native Australian, but my German isn't bad, so I can comment a little on the naming and the translation questions that you had. Essentially, yes, they did change the names, but the German versions were as fantasy nonsensical as the Mm, English ones. The original name for Falkor... For example, was fuker uh, yeah, i
0: don't yeah f
1: u c h u r. so put that into a German pronunciation, yeah. <laughs> um which is kind of a mashup of the words for fox and for ancient. Well, that's <laughs> interesting,
0: yeah, that's cool. Thank you for that, that was yes. specific feedback we were looking for.
1: <laughs> and on the subject of translated names, uh, a German listener did reach out to April and she messaged me with some screenshots and brought up um, that change of Falkor's name, as well as that the childlike empress was uh, Rosenkind, Rosenkind, mm. mm-hmm. um, Rose Ro- Yeah. and also that Mr. Coriander's full name which is Carl Conrad Coriander, mm-hmm. was spelled with all Ks in oh. the original, which is very German, um, but that was changed to all Cs in the English language version because in, in the book, Bastion is like, oh, that's CCC and I'm BBB, mm. when obviously in America, they yeah. wouldn't want him to be like, it's KKK. You're KKK,
0: you're K. Great. Great. Yeah, that seems uh, Yeah, a smart yeah, change. There's a,
1: an implication there that maybe you wouldn't have in... <laughs> 1970s Germany. No.
0: But no. Definitely
1: yeah. in America. Yes. Over on Twitter, we had five votes for the book, three for the movie, and two listeners who could not decide between the two. Shelby Suderman at Shelby Suderman said, I picked the book because I prefer the character depth we get for Bastion and Atreyu. I feel like that setup is going to become more important in the second half.
0: Okay, so Shelby stopped with you
1: i think so yeah Yeah, it
0: would appear at least to watch Um,
1: shelby is probably ahead of me now though because i have not been motivated to read
0: (laughs) but she stopped for the first movie with you yeah
1: Uh, matt nelson large cartoonist at large at matt w nelson said love the movie but the film quite can't quite match the book do not watch the third movie it is hot garbage An early performance by Jack Black may entice you, but stand strong. You will regret it unless you do it for good, bad or bad, bad.
0: I have seen it, as I mentioned, I think in the main episode, I have seen the third one. And I remember not remember like I remember that I don't remember much about it other Mm -hmm. than I did remember Jack Black being in it as like he plays (laughs) one of the bullies in the beginning interesting There's an, a similar, so it's a
1: very early performance by jack
0: yeah black. A f- pretty well uh, that one came out in like the midnight so yeah it is still early jack black but it's i think it's
1: i mean to play one of the bullies he would have had to have been a kid right
0: yeah, let me or no. A well, it's like in high school because he's older still. I think. Right. I think this takes place in high school. He, pl- so he okay, plays. Okay, so he's like, a
1: teenager. He plays like a high schooler, a te- playing a teenager. Uh, I'm trying to remember.
0: Which... Let me do some very quick IMDbing here and see how early this was in his career. I mean, it is early for sure. I'm just mm-hmm. not sure because, like, what you call it was pretty early. Um, it may have been okay. So it may have been his first feature film. No. Mm-hmm. No, uh, Airborne, which I'm not sure what that is, but he was in the movie called Airborne, which looks like a a rollerblading movie from 1993. He was in Demolition Man in 93, uh, as a, a a character called Wasteland Scrap. So he may have been like a nameless. Yeah. Uh, and then he was in some TV movies and TV shows, and then The NeverEnding Story 1994, NeverEnding Story 3, 1994. He played Slip the Bully.
1: Did you guys do Demolition Man on... Good, bad, or bad, bad, or am I thinking of We have of not, no. Else? there.
0: I mean, it is. people have done it on similar shows, but... Um, I I guess what I is the movie I'm thinking else. of that he was in? I have
1: no idea what you're thinking of. <laughs> Pretty much the extent of my knowledge of Jack Black's career is School of Rock and The Holiday. I was thinking so. of High
0: Fidelity, which wasn't until 2000, and he was in stuff... Like, he was in The Cable Guy in 96, he was in Biodome in 96, with as tenacious D, apparently. Anyways... He was in an episode of The X-Files. Hmm. Uh, he was in Waterworld as pilot. Didn't know that either. But yeah, that is one of his earlier, bigger roles. Interesting. Where he's like a name. But again, he's not in the rest of the movie. From my memory, he's like a bully. And I think he's like in the very beginning and the very end, similar to the first
1: hmm. first one. I wonder if he gets scared by Falcor.
0: I do not recall anything <laughs> about it.
1: Anyway, uh, back to our... Fan comments. Uh, Maria Meshkova at Rogue underscore X109 said, the thing with the Cooper book, we talked about The Last of the Mohicans Mm, being one of the books that Bastion said he had read. And she said, the thing with that is that in the, in the USSR and in all um, pro Soviet, all of the pro Soviet parts of Europe, I think he was marketed as an author of children's books Hmm. and was pretty popular among teen boys And the listener who messaged April also mentioned that um, they said that that type of adventure story used to be hugely popular in Germany. So
0: it doesn't surprise me. And again, I I, just to clarify, I don't know anything about the book and Uh I know very little about I haven't even seen the movie. I've just seen parts of it. It was just because in my head, the movie is a more like 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 Braveheart, gory, like more adult type of story in my head. It may not be. That's just my thought of it. Um, so it was that was why I was kind of surprised by that. Yeah. but it, it, that totally makes sense because I know James Fenimore Cooper, a lot of his books are more like swashbuckley, yeah type of adventure. It, books It is that interesting. Kids would read.
1: Because I, I think it here it's something that doesn't necessarily get held up next to the same kind of swashbuckley stuff. Yeah. I mean, even if it is actually kind of similar, yeah. I think like here we generally don't put it in the same kind of category.
0: Yeah, I feel feel like we see it more as like class, almost not classic lit, but like close, maybe in that
1: something cl- you would
0: read in a literature yeah. class. Yeah,
1: yeah. And on Instagram, we had three votes for the book and three for the movie. The Leap underscore seventy seven said, "I love this movie." One of the few treats I got to see in the theaters when I was a kid in the 80s. And it's not about nostalgia either. It has interesting characters, wild sets, and really touched on the fears and trials of childhood as coming-of-age stories became its own film genre. Plus, what kid from the '80s did not say "yeah" and dreamed of writing a Falcor at the end?
0: I love how you say it's not about nostalgia, and then go on to write like a very nostalgia-filled, <laughs> fueled review of the film. I do appreciate what you're saying that I do think, yeah. and I, we touched on that. that There's definitely tons of elements of it that are not that stand up regardless of nostalgia. Yeah. You could show this to a kid today, and they would still, I think, very much mm-hmm. en- enjoy it. Um, it's very much not. All
1: and based you know, on I think nostalgia is a perfectly legitimate yeah. reason to prefer something
0: that that also yes that's
1: i also try to kind of step away from that nostalgia like quote unquote trap because i'm trying to give more of like an impart like take a yeah. more impartial look at this stuff because that's what we do here um but i think nostalgia is a totally legit reason mm-hmm. to like something or to prefer something absolutely and our last comment was from the never ending Story underscore page.
0: A never ending Story fan page, it would A say.
1: A never, never fan page. And they said, I feel more attached to the movie because it's what I knew first, but I can't deny the book is technically better. I'm just glad I didn't read the book before seeing the movie. I wouldn't want to not <laughs> like the movie. I know the whole thing by heart and I could quote it start to finish without it even playing in the background.
0: Mm-hmm. That that is something that is you is one way to do it is you can watch movies the movie first and then you when you go back and read the book, you get that extra
1: Yeah. You get totally more.
0: you get extra. You don't have it ruined going now <laughs> you usually you don't have something ruined going from movie to book versus where some people, you know, sometimes it can be.
1: Yeah, I think it generally is more likely going book to movie that you're gonna have something Ruined,
0: yeah, that you're going to be disappointed, yeah. Um, whereas going movie to book, generally you get more, so it's not, yeah,
1: know. it's like going in, like, it's like getting more special features on yeah. the DVD, it's like, yeah, or something. It's, yeah
0: exactly, extra exactly. content, yeah.
1: So, our overall winner, and this was a little bit surprising to me, yeah, it was close, but the book took it with nine votes to the movie's seven,
0: yeah.
1: I really thought the movie was going to take it,
0: I thought so too. I would have guessed the movie, but yeah. I, uh, because I, I just wouldn't have thought I, that many people would have read the book but like everybody who commented seemed to have read the book and that's you know it's just one of those books that i doesn't i've never read um
1: yeah for some reason this one was not
0: on my radar when i I was a kid so it's interesting all right it's time to have a nice in-depth discussion about 80s kid movies and are they really more traumatizing than movies from other decades no matter what anybody tells you Words and ideas can change the world.
1: So covering the never-ending story made me think of an idea that I often see memed and discussed online. Yes. Uh, Mostly by, like, Gen Xers, Mm -hmm. Millennials, some younger boomers. Yeah. I see you um, say yeah. this. Yeah. Um, but it's the idea that kids' movies, specifically from the 1980s, were extremely traumatizing, more so than kids' movies from other decades. Mm-hmm. And I want to start off by saying that we are by no means presenting this as, like, a definitive thesis no. on this topic. I did some light research, nothing heavy. I literally just want to chat about this because I find it interesting. Yeah.
0: And hopefully it'll spark some discussion.
1: Yeah. Um, So namely, I am interested in exploring which movies are frequently cited as fitting into this idea of being traumatizing to watch as a child. And if there is actually a pattern of more 80s movies being cited as such. And then if there is a pattern why we think that might be, and if there isn't, why that idea persists yeah. regardless.
0: Yeah.
1: Again, not a researched thesis. <laughs>
0: we're not publishing this.
1: <laughs> we're just chatting and hypothesizing.
0: Yeah.
1: So I thought it might be fun to start off by giving a few movies that we, your hosts, were traumatized by as children. Mm. Um, and I think this is also a good place to bring up that Both, like, within our specific discussion and also very much in general. Very much
0: within the culture.
1: Within this idea. Um, Traumatized is used pretty loosely. Yes. I think sometimes it means this movie utterly terrified me and I still can't watch it. And sometimes it means this movie horrified me but I still wore out the VHS. And like sometimes it means scary, yeah. sometimes it means sad, yes. sometimes and, it's like a mix. And almost
0: rarely is it ever used in the context of like 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 actual trauma like right. trauma that is somehow diagnosable or, or yeah, that not in the actual of, you know scientific I mean?
1: sense of trauma. Yeah.
0: So uh, just to clarify that, yeah, this is more of yeah the colloquial sense of traumatizing.
1: Some movies that scared me as a kid. Mm-hmm. Number one, first thing that always comes to mind still refuse to watch this movie is the nineteen ninety is nineteen seventy seven Animated version of the Hobbit.
0: I have never actually seen this. I've seen. Ele- I will not be
1: watching it. it with you because I'm fully terrified of it. Still <laughs> at
0: 31 years old. That's the Bakshi one, right? Is that Ralph Bakshi, I believe it's a,
1: either Pechi or Rankin and Bass. Because
0: they, they, there I was. I think it's
1: Rankin and Bass. Yeah, actually. I can't
0: remember because Bakshi did Lord of the Rings, and I thought yes. he did. He did the, I don't remember. I've looked this up before, and then I always forget who did what. But yeah.
1: Um. So I'm fully terrified of that movie. If you've never seen it, don't watch it. Just go, like, look up screen caps. I mean, watch it if you want to watch it. But, like, if you're just kind of passingly curious, just go look up some screen caps from it. Because literally every single character is utterly terrifying. Just, it's like the artists sat down and were like, what is the most horrifying frightening way that i can possibly bring this character to life let's do it
0: it is a very specific art style i'm pretty sure my dad really enjoyed that movie it's uh, he's a big bakshi fan he likes a lot of that art style from that period like the uh, wizards which is another bakshi movie is a Mm -hmm. movie he really enjoys um and uh i'm pretty sure it's bakshi if i got that wrong don't (laughs) don't come at me i think that's correct though But I think there's definitely, it is a very distinct style that Mm -hmm. is not exactly kid-friendly. That's for sure. Like, my dad saw it when he, I mean, my dad probably saw it when he was in his early 20s or something, so. Yeah,
1: and I mean, I think we could probably put, like, an asterisk on that one, because, like, was it really meant for kids? Yeah. Or do we just think of it kind of being for kids because it's animation? Um, Because especially in the Western world, we tend to associate animation with being, oh, it's for kids. Yeah. Right? But is it for kids? I don't know. Um, another one that I was traumatized by, and if you know what I'm talking about, we're we're like we're, we're close because I feel like people never know what I this is when this I bring title. it up. Um, there was a 1991, probably straight to VHS, animated version of The Princess and the Goblin that I loved but was also straight terrified of like that was one of those ones that like terrified of it still wore out the VHS. Yeah. Um, and I'm kind of sad that it's not commonly known because I would love to talk about it on this show. Cause it is based on a book.
0: Hmm. Yeah. I, I the, the art of one of the characters in it, I assume maybe the goblin is, looks very familiar to me uh-huh. or maybe it was aped in something else. I don't know. Trying to see who like who was like what studio like what art studio was. Responsible I think for it. it
1: might have been like a European, like maybe some like an Eastern European kind of, and then it got an English dub, hmm. is what I suspect.
0: Uh, directed by Josef, Gim, uh, that's a that's a Sp- Hungarian, Hungarian Hungarian name. The go. director's Hungarian, uh, and I can't see what the studio is, but yeah, the director was Hungarian um production companies paranoia film studio oh no not paranoia (laughs) pan pan Pananoia Pananoia, panonia Panonia
1: film studio in
0: hungary Hmm. uh so there you go was looks like the probably why a lot of people don't know it yeah and anyways
1: um it's also something that i'm always on like whenever i go to a thrift store i look at the vhs's because i'm always like i'm gonna find a copy of this movie and I'm going to bust out our old VCR (laughs) that my mom gave to us so that we could watch Mary Poppins. (laughs) Yeah. And I'm going to watch this movie and see if it holds up. It probably won't. That's fine. Um, And then my other scary movie is more of an honorable mention because most of it I was not scared of, but the 1940 original Fantasia was utterly terrified of the Night at Bald Mountain sequence at the end.
0: I don't know if I with, remember which part that is. What's What happened? I think you would remember it if you I'm saw I'm sure. It. I mean, I know I've seen Fantasia <laughs> um, all the way through. It's just...
1: the one where the giant, like, winged devil character comes out of the peak of the mountain.
0: Yes. Yes. I, I yeah. do recall that. Yes.
1: I would, like, I would watch Fantasia all the way through and then scream for my grandma to come turn it off. <laughs> <laughs> so those were my scary movies. I also had a couple sad movies The Land Before Time. Yes. I also loved. That's great. It's great. It's a great movie. It's very sad. Um, At the time, I would watch that like every day. I was also uh, a a child being raised by a single mother and Mm. her uh, maternal grandparents. So that really like uh, (laughs) hit home for me. Um, The Fox and the Hound. Mm Mm-hmm. Super sad. Still can't watch The Fox and the Hound. Yep. Uh, And Dumbo will have me in tears to this day.
0: Yeah. I didn't include any sad movies because The Land Before Time and The Fox and the Hound were like the two that I thought Mm -hmm. of. So I just... (laughs) <laughs> it's like just I'll just put a yes also on those <laughs> uh, because, yeah, I, I I'm not interested. in I would I would watch The Land Before Time again just because mm-hmm. I, I am not interested in ever watching The Fox and the Hound again. Yeah, I don't even remember what happens. I just remember as a child being like, I don't like this.
1: It's not a fun movie. It's just movie. sad. I don't it's like It's not this. a fun movie. <laughs>
0: yeah. I remember just being like, nah, I'm good. It
1: is based on a book, though.
0: <clears throat> oh, is it? Mm-hmm. And yeah, that makes sense. I'm sure a lot of those were. <laughs> Uh, so mine are are I guess scary. I, I so the first two are scary, kind of. Um, Pee Wee's Big Adventure, and it's literally only one scene. It's the large marge scene. Yeah, scared the shit out of me as a kid. I it just it's, remember the first time I saw it. I was not prepared for the. I mean, who is who could be prepared for the large marge <laughs> scene? And then the other one that is. I actually loved this movie and watched it a lot, and it's a very uh, it's a it's a movie that has had a slight resurgence. I think some podcasts have talked about it on like bad movie podcasts. Which I loved it as a kid. Is the peanut butter solution, which is a, never it's never heard of this. it is a Canadian film hmm. that somehow my dad was aware of. Recorded off to I don't know how we had a copy of it. Um, we had it on VHS, and it's about a kid who <clears throat> gets a fright. Uh, He goes into like a house or something and gets scared by something that happened. I don't remember the details. It's been, I haven't seen it since I was a kid. And he, all of his hair falls out. Oh. And then, and I say he, it might be a female. I don't remember. It might be a girl character. I don't recall. I think it's a boy. I don't, I don't remember. all his hair falls out. And then he, the peanut butter solution is he finds, he meets some witch or something who gives him this, this, or a book that gives him a, a formula for a hair regrowing s- solution, the peanut hmm. butter solution that is made of peanut butter and like flies and other stuff.
1: Well, this sounds very it's, like a yeah, it, doll ask. Yeah, it could be.
0: I don't know. I don't um, think it
1: is. But... And then,
0: and then he uses this, but then his hair, his, his hair grows back, but then it won't stop growing. Oh God. And he ends up <laughs> the, the, the weirdest twist ever The local... He lives in a town... I think it's in the same town... That a paintbrush factory magnate runs a paintbrush factory in, and he's like this evil paintbrush magnate who kidnaps him and 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 holds him hostage and 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 harvests his hair to make paintbrushes because they're the best possible type of paintbrush is made of human hair, and he has this never-ending supply of human hair because this kid's hair won't stop
1: growing. Everything you have told me about this has gotten progressively more terrifying, <laughs> and then. It's
0: all built. And then uh, I I think the climax of the film is his like sister and his friend or something coming to rescue him from this factory where he's being held hostage and having his hair harvested. It is. I really remember enjoying it as a kid and thinking it was. But also it is a weird, weird kind of freaky movie. There's like some visual gags with like hair growing. And it's just a weird it's a it's a it's a wild film um but i uh i remember quite liking it uh and then finally my last one and this one isn't so much scary to me as it was traumatizing is gremlins i've still never seen gremlins uh i made my parents my parents put it on one time we were watching it and i was fine with it all the way up until they turn into gremlins and it wasn't that i was scared of the gremlins it's when the humans started murdering the gremlins mm. I was like, I'm done with this. I ain't here specifically they like microwave one and it explodes. And I, it, I was so upset by like them just murdering these little creatures. I was like, not here for it in the same way that like I, I, when I was a kid, I couldn't like the idea of like killing, catching and killing fish or something like mm-hmm. hunting any of that. I was not into any of that. Um, I'm still not really. But like, if I had to like catch and clean a fish now, I could. Um, but as a kid, I just couldn't do it. I just uh, hated the idea of it completely. And this movie, like like murdering, the, even though they were like evil, you know, or whatever. Right. Like I was not into it. I I w- wasn't having it. I was like, nope, not watching this. Still, never Such seen it. Such
1: so. a gentle soul.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's my that's my other one.
1: All right, so those are a few of our personal ones, but I wanted something broader, something more general that yes. we could we could work off of that pulled from a bigger pool. So what I did, do the scientific thing and explain my methodology here. It's probably very flawed. Don't come for me, scientists. I Googled most traumatizing kids movies, (laughs) and I looked at the entire first page of results. It was a bunch of listicles. Right, yes. Uh, I then did the same thing with saddest kids movies and then scariest kids movies. Basically, I went through each list and I wrote down each movie title. And if a movie was mentioned more than once, I made a tally mark next to the title. Now, I want to note too that I did not include movies that weren't marketed as like kid family family movies. And I, I say that because a lot of the lists included like adult horror movies like Poltergeist yeah. and The Exorcist. Which there
0: are tons of people who right. were traumatized by those were movies. Traumatized but...
1: by that as kids, but they weren't intended for kids. <laughs> yeah. And I feel like that's a whole different conversation. A, that is a very
0: different conversation. So I just didn't
1: include those. Yeah. Um, but I then combined all of those results to aggregate an overall master list with the movies that appeared most frequently towards the top. Um, so it totaled out to 147 individual movie wow. titles, 72 of which were mentioned at least twice um, across. I looked at 23 different lists. This is what I did today. <laughs> and I then narrowed that down into a top 10 list featuring the movies with the most overall mentions mm-hmm. so i'm gonna start at number this is real
0: journalism i'll <laughs> have you know is... by the way you're doing real journalism here this if we don't get a pulitzer for this <laughs> maybe they give get podcast pulitzers right
1: well maybe they should <laughs> so at number 10 with five mentions a piece we had 2007's bridge to terabithia mm-hmm. and 1982's the last unicorn
0: I'm aware of Bridget Terabithia, and I've never heard of The Last Unicorn.
1: Um, the Last Unicorn, I have tried to watch a couple times. I just have a hard time watching it. It's, It's got a very distinct art style. Kind is it an of,
0: animated film? Yeah.
1: Okay. Um, It's not the same art style as The Hobbit that I mentioned, yeah. but it is kind of similar-ish. Gotcha. Uh, very distinct looking. At number nine on my list, with six mentions a piece, 2010's Toy Story 3. And 1940s Pinocchio. And I feel like I want to put an asterisk next to Toy Story 3. Because, like, yes, it, it's marketed to kids, but I think we can all agree that the point was to traumatize adults.
0: Yes, absolutely. So. Uh, <laughs> real quick, uh, the last unicorn is Rankin Bass. So. Okay. Yeah. If, if the Hobbit was, which is. And I believe it was. It yeah. was then yeah. That would make sense. Sorry.
1: At number eight. With seven mentions apiece, there are several movies tied here with seven mentions each. 1971's Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Yeah. 2009's Up. 1990's The Witches. 1988's The Land Before Time. 1982's The Dark Crystal. 1957's Old Yeller. And 1968's Chitty Chitty Bang Bang.
0: It's been a long time since I've seen Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, but I don't recall...
1: I don't think I've ever seen Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, but it's the kid catcher that people cite as being, like, traumatizing. I
0: don't remember enough about it. I don't remember that being a movie that, to me, stuck out as creepy, But I, because I know I've seen it. I saw it several times as a kid, but I don't remember what Mm -hmm. the kid... I don't remember, so I can't comment on it, but...
1: Uh, At number seven, with eight total mentions, was 1991's My Girl...
0: That's uh, Macaulay Culkin, right? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Number six, we have another one with several here, all tied with nine mentions each. 1988's "Who Framed Roger Rabbit."
0: I almost put that on my list, by the way. Uh, It's only one scene. I loved that movie as a kid, but there Mm -hmm. is one particular scene. Yeah, I know. I know know the one. Not great. I know the one. Yeah. (laughs) Uh,
1: 1994's "The Lion King." 1981's "The Fox and the Hound." 1985's Return to Oz, 2009's Coraline, Mm -hmm. and 1989's All Dogs Go to Heaven. Mm. Side note, guess who was on my list a lot? It won Mr. Don Bluth.
0: Yeah, Don Bluth definitely (laughs) will uh, will be on that list quite a bit.
1: Quite a bit. At number five, with ten mentions, 1941's Dumbo... And number four, with 11 mentions, 1942's Bambi. Mm -hmm. Another side note, whatever the heck was going on at Disney Animation in the 40s, the 1940s category is literally all Disney. It's just all creepy old Disney movies.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's World War II.
1: (laughs) I mean, yeah, but like, I don't know. It's interesting. Uh, Number three, with 12 overall mentions, 1982's E.T. At
0: number two? yeah, E.T. Yeah. I, I, e. is one of those ones that I can see. I, I was never a big fan of E.T. as a kid because mm-hmm. I just didn't... I didn't think it was fun enough to make up for like... I don't know. It's been, I haven't seen E.T. since I was... all. That's another one I haven't seen since I was a little kid. And I remember not being a big fan of it. Just being like, eh, it's fine. But it's kind of sad. <laughs> and I, like, I, I don't know. Yeah.
1: So at number two with 13... Overall mentions is 1978's Watership Down.
0: Never seen it, but I'm aware of
1: what it is. Oh, I'm aware. Yeah. Um, I I don't know that we'll ever do that one on here, (laughs) because I don't think I can stomach it. Yeah. And at number one, and I swear I did not fudge this.
0: (laughs) Didn't fudge the numbers. With
1: 16 mentions across 23 lists, 1984's the never-ending story. Never story
0: there you go yeah that's uh you know i that's funny i would not have expected it to be number one well i guess I, I i i can see it because and we'll get into some details of why movies are talked we'll get into mm-hmm. some more but i can see it because of how popular it was mixed with the, the the Tech scene like so that like yeah. the the the, the specific that specific scene mixed with it being a much more like widely consumed movie, I would imagine, than some of these other ones. Um, and, and for other reasons that we'll get into shortly. I, it doesn't necessarily surprise me that it's number one.
1: It was uh, it was a real like neck and neck heat between that and Watership Down the whole time yeah. I was going through these lists. I was like, well, what's it going to be? <laughs> yeah. What's it going to be? Um, I don't know, and there were it was re- it was really interesting going through those lists. I mean, it was kind of tedious, right? But um, it was interesting. Yeah. Uh, so to break down that top ten list by decade, um, in the 2010s we had one movie, one appearance from the 2010s. Uh, 2000s we had three movies, three movies from the 1990s, nine movies from the 1980s two from the 70s, one from the 60s, one from the 50s and one and three from the 40s. Mhm.
0: So, so basically the 80s equaled almost everything else combined. Almost pretty much, not. Almost. I mean not not quite, but
1: not quite but close. But here's where it gets interesting. I also sorted my overall master list by decade. Again, this is what I did today. And this
0: is the one that had 100
1: and 147 different movies on titles. And in terms of sheer number of movie titles mentioned, the 1990s beat out the 80s with 43 movie titles to the 80s 37. And
0: not just a narr- that's a pretty significant margin for yeah. I mean that's what like a almost a 10 uh no 20% Yeah, almost 20% more roughly. And
1: the 2000s were actually not far behind with 32 individual titles. Yeah, that's, that's yeah so they were they were catching up the eighties hmm. so now that we have some raw data to work with, let's go back to our original questions. Were there that many more traumatizing kids movies to come out of the eighties than any other decade? I think the answer is yes and no
0: <laughs> in good scientific fashion. <laughs> the answer is it's complicated,
1: yeah um. So our top 10 list, the 80s blew every other decade out of the water yes. easily. However, in the overall list, the 90s actually came out on top, followed by the 80s with the 2000s not far behind. Mm-hmm. So we have kind of like a 30-year a span of yes. trauma.
0: Yes, those specific 30 years. Yeah.
1: Since we've established that there is at least some kind of pattern here. Yeah talk about why we think that is. Mm-hmm. Um so one thing that I think we could factor in to this conversation is changes to the film rating system.
0: Yeah, this is something I thought of initially mm-hmm. that I'm sure other people have talked about, but yeah, that was one of my first thoughts.
1: Yeah. So the PG-13 rating was added in 1984. It didn't exist yeah before 1984. Um so it, now I didn't go and look at the ratings of these movies. This is just me Spitballing here. Yeah. Um if, if you want to go look at all the ratings and draw your own data, be my guest. Um, but I think it's possible that before that PG thirteen rating, maybe kids movies like got away with that, more heavy content.
0: That's generally the agreed upon consensus that I've heard. I don't again I, that that who knows how s- actually accurate that mm-hmm. is. I don't know if somebody has done like a gone through and seen how many PG movies used certain language and had certain scenes. Oh, you know God, what I mean? That would be a mess. That would be a whole mess. But I, yeah. I, I I don't know. I don't think that's been done. So it is more of like a general like consensus of what has been gotten away with mm-hmm. and but that is what you see online is people generally think that movies before 1984 that had that pg rating were able to get away with more because it was either that or R. so it was like and if it didn't have a whole bunch of, uh, of vulgarity and a whole bunch of violence it tended to be slapped down in a pg yeah. rating so
1: um i think it's also potentially possible that maybe there was a period of time following that in which the rating system maybe wasn't, like, operating smoothly. I'm
0: sure it has been hammered out in the intervening years to what, yeah. you know, like, because now there's the rule of, like, you get in a PG-13 movie, you get one usage of the F word. hmm And uh, in a certain way, it has to be, it can't be, like, related to sex. It has to be specifically related to <sighs> just, like, as an expletive. Yeah. Um, but anyways, it, uh... So, that, so there, but I don't know if that was like the rule since 1984. My guess would be probably not, but who knows? Uh, we didn't go into that much detail with this, or you didn't. I didn't no. do any of this research, but you didn't go into that <laughs> no, much detail. Did not go
1: into that much detail. Uh, another filmmaking centric theory that I had. Um, Was that potentially, like, following the advent of the Disney renaissance in the late 80s and early 90s, maybe there was, like, a general, like, tone shift Mm -hmm. in kids' movies into a different type of storytelling, like, more big musical numbers, romance at the forefront, happy ending, pretty much guaranteed, like, typical Disney formula.
0: And once you hit on that and it's successful, once Disney hits on that and it's successful Mm -hmm. in, what, 89 with Beauty and the Beast, right? Little Mermaid. Little Mermaid um it it makes sense that other studios would be like okay this is the thing right let's <laughs> yeah the thing is the thing is 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 more like f- fun po- like poppy not poppy but like you know colorful um imagined, not imagine not more imaginative but uh just Less less, less creepy, less grim, less just more uh, optimistic right. sort of films. And
1: I will say, too, that I, I didn't sort the 147 films on my master list by like studio yeah. or anything like that. But I think the only Disney Renaissance movies to appear on it at all were The Lion King. Yeah. And I think The Hunchback of Notre Dame got maybe like two or three mentions.
0: Uh, yeah, I could see it. there's this <laughs> the Frollo scenes. Yeah. yeah.
1: Um I mean, The Hunchback is pretty The Hunchback. Hunchback is kind of an outlier yeah. for Disney Renaissance. It's it, it pretty dark. Is. It
0: is. It is, yeah.
1: Um and Aladdin was mentioned once, but I would consider that kind of an outlier. That's an outlier for I mean, my list. That was like a specific person who was scared of something specific.
0: Yeah, in Aladdin, a very specific thing of like. It's
1: not one that you hear come up <laughs> the, frequently. The, I could
0: see like maybe the cave at the beginning or something. I think that's what it was cre- actually. Being creepy yeah. or whatever. Like yeah. yeah.
1: So I think we could also look at this. From a more broad historical perspective, Um, and this was something that you brought up when we initially talked about this a couple weeks ago. Um, So films in the 80s and 90s were being made in a post-Vietnam world, Mm -hmm. um, following a lot of social upheaval and a lot of loss of faith in institutions. And a lot of the people who were making movies and working on movies in the 80s and 90s would have experienced those things firsthand. Yeah. And your trauma makes its way into your art, regardless of what that art is. Mm -hmm. And for the 2000s, we could also factor in that not only is it now a post-Vietnam world, it's also a post-9-11 world. Yeah. Trauma on top of trauma. Yeah. It's all we know. Mm -hmm. Now all of those are good theories, and I think they could explain all or part of this phenomenon. Just to
0: be clear, uh, just real quick, mm-hmm. you said trauma on top of trauma. It's all we know in reference to 9-11 and Vietnam. It is a very privileged position as Americans were coming from that those are the most traumatic parts of our. I just I just wanted to clarify for the sake of yeah. <laughs> global listeners that like it is very much the case that um, you know that that there is. Uh, we're speaking from a very American-centric view here. There, It's, it's yeah, it is a whole other thing to go to other places. But anyways, I just wanted, to, yeah, sorry.
1: So they're all good theories. Mm-hmm. I think they can all explain at least part of this phenomenon. Mm-hmm. This is our main theory. Yes. Um, and I don't think it's a unique theory. No. But uh this is
0: It's your theory. I looked at it and was like I had the same thought. So yeah. you're you're just to clarify, you wrote all this, but I was like that was the same thing I was thinking.
1: So this whole thing started because on the internet, I often see this memed disgust idea about 80s movies being right. more traumatizing. And I often see that coupled alongside the idea that kids in the 80s were allowed to run free and they weren't coddled yes and i think the grain of truth to that it's a teeny tiny little grain but i think the grain of truth to that is that in the 90s the 24-hour news cycle started to be much more prevalent Mm -hmm. so we were at least hearing about a lot more instances of like kids being kidnapped and murdered and like all these horrible things happening probably more than we had been before when the news was yeah. more or less local plus big yeah. Right.
0: Yeah, and I, I I don't know the numbers, but I think it is um, <laughs> real sticky situations because the statistics for this do exist. But from my understanding, I think it is fairly true that the numbers of those instances of, of kidnapping and and what you know all of the mm-hmm. stuff that blew up in the '90s and became this big fear, blah blah blah, and it, it, um, those numbers didn't particularly change from what they were previously. It was just people were aware of it now yeah. because of the yeah. the way media and and news media was consumed.
1: And I think it probably is true that some parents bought into the mood of that era in regard to parenting their kids. But I don't think that's the case for everyone. I think that's just how we remember it.
0: It definitely is not the case for everyone. I I mean, I was born in the 80s, but Mm -hmm. I'm 88. I was a kid of the 90s, and I was allowed to go where almost wherever i oh, wanted yeah and my parents were fairly protective too like my parents weren't like just I, I it's not that i was allowed to go wherever i wanted but like i was you know i would go out and during during summer i'd leave in the morning and go me and my friends would ride our bikes all around our neighborhood and stuff there was like certain roads i couldn't cross like i couldn't go mm-hmm. across like certain within like certain boundaries roads. like yeah. busier roads and stuff like you know until i was like in, in high school or whatever or you know a teenager but i yeah, we, we would go all over our neighborhood, like all, you know. Yeah, we wouldn't ride <laughs> six miles down to, you know, uh, across the other side of town or anything. But it, yeah, and, and, and again, that's obviously a very specific anecdote of my childhood growing up. But um, I, I think it is the case that it varied a lot based yeah. on.
1: I mean, it was a little bit different for me in like my early childhood because I lived with my grandparents and that was a very like suburban yeah. Upbringing and my my grandma was like pretty protective of yeah. me. Um but after I was like 6 or 7, we moved out to the literal middle of nowhere. Um and I lived on like a dead-end road surrounded by forest.
0: Yeah. And
1: I would leave the house and not return yeah. <laughs> until the evening. Um and there were a lot of reasons for that. But I went all over the place. I I would walk, like, miles away on the side of the road, and I think about that sometimes, and I'm like, it is astonishing that I did not get, like, snatched up by some random asshole in a truck. Yeah.
0: I mean, you say that, but it's actually not astonishing because that's actually very rare. It's just one of those things yeah. that seems like it's it happens more often than it does, but yeah. It, yeah. I
1: mean, I, I might, what I mean is like, now with the perspective of an adult, I look back and I'm like, oh, that wasn't safe.
0: Yeah, that is, <laughs> I will say that it is generally like, it is probably a better idea not to let your kids completely run all over town. Like, it depends on... There, there's a within reason type of thing. Like, yeah. there's, you know, obviously independence and, and and setting firm boundaries and stuff for your kids is seems very important. But it also, like, sort of the freewheeling, your kids leave at 8 a.m. and you don't know where they are until they come home at 6 p.m. probably is not the best That's way like to parent. That's, like, the
1: other end of the extreme.
0: Yeah, you know, it's probably not the best way to parent, would be my guess, but I'm not a parent, so who knows.
1: So... <laughs> All this to say, I think to explain why this idea about 80s movies is such a thing, Mm -hmm. we have to look at who we is. Mm
0: -hmm. That's it.
1: And when you're discussing pop culture on the internet, we very much tends to be Gen Xers and Millennials. Yep. Along with a handful of, like, younger boomers and older Gen Zers.
0: Especially up until the last few years. That was especially the case. Within the last, you know, three or four years, Gen Z has gotten to an age where they are joining the conversation a lot more, uh, especially with the rise of things like TikTok and stuff. Mm -hmm. But, like, before that, it it was almost entirely Gen X and millennials who were having... Yeah,
1: and I think we are going to see more of a trend of movies from... The 2000s and the 2010s being talked about as like, oh, this traumatized my childhood. Yeah, in the same way that we've talked about 80s movies and 90s movies.
0: Absolutely the case because we already see. I've seen. I haven't seen the, the 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 discussion itself on TikTok, but the the I have seen people on Twitter or whatever discussing the wave of Gen Zers posting memes about how they what it how they wished they had grown up in like the early 2000s when music was good or whatever and it's oh, like honey. it's like it's you know it's like <laughs> yeah. it's like linkin park and so like <laughs> that is already happening that yeah. that that romant- that romanticizing and sort of um uh mythologizing of uh, the 2000s or yeah. whatever is is already happening it's just happening in places that us old folks aren't seeing it <laughs>
1: I just, I I beg of you, Gen Z. I beg of you, do not bring back early two thousands eyebrows. I beg of you. Anything else, please. Anyway, um, so I think the reason that we have this idea that eighties movies are more traumatizing. Than movies from any other decade as a common refrain. And the idea that the reason the eighties, nineties, and two thousands movies are dominating these lists of traumatizing films is simply because of who is directing and participating in the conversation. Yep. It's people who were kids and teenagers during the eighties, nineties, and two thousands.
0: This is always the case. This is critical theory like to a T like this it the the, the things that dominate the the popular discussion are always based on the people that are discussing them. It's the yeah. same reason that, why is it that every you know book that you read in high school was written by some white guy? Like every literary, like not every, but like it, especially in the 80s and 90s or whatever, every book, almost every book in your lit class in high school was probably written by, like an English white guy, like mm-hmm. an English speaking white guy, right? Like yeah. most of them. <laughs> so, and it's like because who is leading that discussion? Who is participating right. in that yeah. discussion? Who
1: had the means and the time and the education to write during those previous time periods?
0: Yes. Yes. That and it's old who, white guys. Yes, that and who's deciding, who's, who's participating who's in the coming discussion up with of the reading list? Yes, who's coming up with the reading list? It's who's, old white guys. Yeah, who's coming up with the reading list? Who's having those discussions in the time period about what is valuable mm-hmm. uh, literature or media or whatever? It's it's the same people, and so that's why things get dominated by those specific, yeah, things. Yeah, uh,
1: yeah. and to take to back to movies, yeah. Um, I think you could also factor in the advent of new technology. Like, what did we have for the first time in the 80s and 90s? We had home video. We had VCR. We had VHS. Whereas, you know, in the 60s or 70s, you might have seen a movie once in the theaters or caught The Wizard of Oz on TV once a year at Christmas. But from like the 80s onward, you can be exposed to far more media far more frequently. Mm-hmm. And that at least partly explains why millennials and Gen Zers who didn't directly experience the 80s will sometimes still cite some 80s movies yeah. as being traumatizing. It's because they've actually seen them.
0: Yeah. yeah, I think it's a very important point because yeah, it's, it's one thing to have seen a movie once and have and be like scared by it or something. It's yeah. another thing to wear a VHS out. Watching it and every time because kids were, are stupid, we're stupid when we're kids. And so we emotionally experience the same thing every single time we watch the movie, you know what I mean? So like searing the the, the scene where Artax dies into your brain by yes. watching the movie yes. 20 times, it's going to have a far different effect than the one time you saw Old Yeller die, you know, you right. saw the end of Old Yeller. Sure, it affected you, but not you didn't watch it 30 times in 40 days or whatever. Like, so it's it's a very different thing. <laughs>
1: and two, like, kind of to go off of that same idea, um, there's a quote, and I can't remember the exact quote, I think it's from You've Got Mail, um, about how, like, the books that you read as a kid stay with you the way that, other books just don't. Yeah. And I think you can say the same thing about movies. Yeah, absolutely. The movies that we view, especially over and over when we're kids, just stick with us.
0: Yeah, because you can watch things over and over again as a kid. Like, I, you, it's hard. You're hard-pressed. I'm hard-pressed to want to watch a movie again within a year. Yeah, it's very rare. Like, it has to be an exceptional film that was, you know, like something like Mad Max Fury Road. I was like, like we got to go see that again next week. I don't, you know, something like that. There's those kind of movies that you want to see several times. But it's very rare. Other than mm-hmm. that. But as a kid, garbage garbage. Any garbage, just, I'll watch it constantly. And
1: I, I mentioned earlier that I would watch the Land Before Time like every day. That is not an exaggeration. No. Yeah, I. You can ask my mom. Yeah, people ask yeah. any of my relatives. Yeah. No,
0: I, yeah, I, I'm sure every I, day. I, and 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 you know, parents these days, are, current parents are, are very aware of that phenomenon with things like Frozen and stuff. Like it's yeah. it's just kids will watch the same thing over and over again. And before 1980, you didn't have that ability. Yeah. You know, before some, whatever VHS is, I'm sure. I
1: mean, VHS.
0: Whenever VHS became prolific and people were able to record things and home VHS and home video became a prolific thing. That's, which was probably more like the mid, late 80s or whatever. But still, yeah.
1: Um, And then speaking, too, of new technology, with the internet, I think we do get a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy here especially with as common as this idea about 80s movies tends to be online. Even before you see a movie, you're told it's sad, it's scary, it's traumatizing, etc., etc. So when you do finally see it, that's what you're looking for. The call is coming from inside the house, you guys. (laughs)
0: absolutely alright that was fun let us know what you think um, on the on the prequel episode if you have thoughts uh, go find the prequel episode uh, Facebook or Twitter or whatever and, and let us know if you agree if you disagree if you think there's a different reason Are, was it actually that just movies were creepier back in the 80s or more traumatizing uh, or is it? Is it based on this? You know, what's your theory? Why do you think everybody is talking about 80s movies being so creepy? Let us know.
1: And also let us know what movies, what movies you were traumatized by. Yes, what movies by.
0: traumatized you. I'm sure we hit a lot of them in that list. But uh, if there's um, some other ones, let us know. And
1: I have this giant spreadsheet. I might like, yeah, we'll make, share like that link somewhere. this somewhere so that because here's the thing. We just did the top 10 list. If yours was not on that top ten list, I can almost guarantee, guarantee you it somewhere is else. somewhere on here. <laughs> yeah, it's
0: 147 were, seven movies. We
1: started with like five mentions of five, but there were a lot of mentions of four and three. Yeah,
0: yeah. All right, there are no book facts this week because obviously it's the same book, but we do have movie facts for The NeverEnding Story Part 2 the next chapter. Now is the time to revisit the land of the never-ending story for an all-new adventure where a young boy returns to a wondrous world on the wings of his own imagination. The world of Falcor.
1: Boy, am I glad to see you. Mm.
0: The Rockbiter. Meet Junior.
1: It's yum, yum, Rocky.
0: The brave Atreyu.
1: I'm glad you came back to Fantasia.
0: And the childlike empress. You have found the only wish powerful enough to save us, Bastion. The NeverEnding Story 2, the next chapter, is a 1990 film directed by George Miller. No, not that George Miller. Uh, George T. Miller, a Scottish-Australian director known for mostly for TV. It was written by Karen Howard, uh, who also wrote The Tigress and Midnight Flight, two things I'd never heard of. She didn't have a very prolific career. She had like eight credits or something. Mm-hmm. I mean, I say not prolific. She didn't write, you know, 50 movies right. or anything right. like that. Uh, and the film stars Jonathan Brandis as Bastion, Kenny Morrison as a Atreyu, Alexandra Jones Johns as the childlike empress, John Wesley Shipp, who is The Flash in the 1980 TV show and also mm. comes back as The Flash. He's, he's The Flash's dad in... The, the cw show that actor oh
1: okay All right. that actor All right, right?
0: isn't anything. he his dad in that i have CW? No idea. i can't remember I'm, we, I'm trusting you here we watched the first three seasons yeah but I don't, I don't i don't remember know that actor else. off
1: the top of my head well
0: whoever the guy the old flash guy who oh comes, the old flash okay isn't he his he's not his dad i don't I remember thought he was
1: just like older flash i thought he
0: was maybe his dad or something
1: his dad's dead
0: yeah And that was his dad. I don't remember. I don't. (laughs) Whatever. And the CW Flash, the guy, the old guy with the metal Flash helmet. um, Uh He was also the Flash in the 80s TV show. That actor. He plays uh, Bastion's dad in this movie, Mr. Bucks. Uh, And Clarissa Burt as Zaidi. Uh, New character. New character.
1: But we Uh, recast everyone else.
0: The only returning actor was Thomas Hill as Carl Conrad Coriander. There we go. We'll get into why they were recast very shortly. The film has a 14% on Rotten Tomatoes, a 30% on Metacritic, and a 5.2 out of 10 on IMDB. Mm-hmm. It was a financial flop with a box office of roughly 17 million against an estimated budget of 36 million. Woof. So not great. So this movie was all or this the, the series was always planned as a trilogy, according to producer Dieter Gessler. Geisler? Geissler? Uh, but production on this sequel had to be postponed due to Enda's lawsuit that we mentioned in the previous prequel. Mm. He sued them, uh, said he went ahead any he, he sued them saying that they needed to change the movie or that he, you know, b- uh, the title of the movie or that they had to take his name off it. And he also wanted any future say he wanted to f- say in any of the future films they would make. Ultimately, we know Enda would lose that lawsuit. Uh, and as a result of that, they would go on to make this film. So, since it took so long, because of this lawsuit, the movie got delayed. The original came out in 1984. This movie didn't go into production until, like, 89 or 88 or something, like, mm-hmm. late 80s, um, because it came out in 1990. Yeah. And uh, the, the, the original actors were all too old. Right. So, they couldn't cast the original, you know, they couldn't just use the same actors again. So, they auditioned over 600 children to recast the three main characters uh, before landing on the three that they they went with.
1: It's a lot of children. It's
0: a lot. Uh, the Never Ending Story, the first one, apparently relied heavily. We talked about this, and I thought it was interesting, because I assumed they were matte paintings in the original Never Ending Story. Mm-hmm. Apparently they weren't. The original Never Ending Story relied heavily on scale models and blue screen to create mm. a lot of the effects, but the next chapter would actually use more life-size models and map paintings, which to me, I looked like there was some map paintings, and
1: yeah, it looked like it at a couple points, but yeah,
0: I mean, but who not. knows? Maybe not. I, I, whatever. Um, uh, and then my final note: I couldn't find a lot about this movie. Uh, my final note that I thought was interesting is that due to labor rules regarding child actors, uh, specifically in, in, um, I guess, uh, Munich where they filmed this, but I don't, I don't know if it. It's the same and it was the same in America or whatever. Um, but due to labor laws regarding child actors, uh, George Miller decided to only rehearse scenes once before filming. And he maximized the time uh, shooting with the children on set by running up to three cameras during a given scene, which running two cameras is not super uncommon. But three is a little more rare. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, and even two's not super like they run two cameras a lot on like sitcoms and stuff. Um, Like the office pretty much. If you ever watch like bloopers from the office, you can tell they're always running like at least two cameras. Um, But usually a lot of times in film you're, you're running one camera because your shot is only lit for that. Whatever angle you're shooting. Like you can't, it's, it's rarer to be able to run multiple cameras. Um, You have to light it very differently and it tends to look less cinematic than like if you're lighting (laughs) to be able to run, shoot multiple cameras, generally you're probably not lighting it in the most cinematic way possible you're lighting it in a way that allows you to have multiple cameras at different angles running so we'll like see. so
1: like more reminiscent of a sitcom
0: A more reminiscent not even a sitcom but just of like a tv show or something because gotcha. like like star trek a uh, lot and like tng and stuff a lot of times would run i think like two cameras mm-hmm. um and just because you it's, it's more efficient obviously if you can shoot like the reaction like if you can shoot your if two people are having a conversation and you can shoot both of those at the same time yeah like the the both people like the close-up on both people talking that's obviously way more efficient than setting up one shooting one half of the conversation going over and setting up the other one instead of shooting the other half of the conversation which is traditionally on film how it's done because you have to light it for each person in that sort of thing um not always obviously it changes wildly depending on Blocking and all manner of things.
1: (laughs) I feel exhausted. (laughs) Yeah,
0: it varies wildly depending on, like I said, blocking and all manner of things, and particularly, like, uh, as as camera technology gets better and better, you can get away with more and more, and and editing software gets better and better. You can get away with lighting things less and differently and blah, blah, blah. It's all very complicated, but...
1: I feel very tired just listening to you describe that process. Yeah,
0: <laughs> but it's 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 lots of setting up things, to tearing things down, moving things around. Yeah, it's very very. But anyway, so he filmed with three cameras to kind of speed up the process mm-hmm. because um, he and just to capture, make sure they weren't missing stuff. Uh, but because of this, they. Got through stuff really fast, and they ended up getting done like way ahead of schedule. Ah. And and the uh, special effects shots that they needed for later scenes weren't done like the like models and you know the ma- <laughs> all that sort of stuff wasn't done yet. So they were just like sitting around with nothing to do oh. <laughs> until that stuff got finished. So it ended up uh, not exactly going perfectly to plan, uh, which apparently is evident in. The film. Uh That being said, I fucking loved this movie as a kid. Uh I don't know if it's any good, but I I'm, watched it I'm a lot.
1: absolutely certain I've never seen this. I wasn't 100% sure with The Never Ending Story, the original one. Absolutely certain I have not seen this movie.
0: I definitely have. None of it
1: looks familiar. So
0: many times. I'm here for it. I can't wait to watch it again because I haven't seen it. It's not one of those ones like, I saw Star Wars a million times when I was a kid, but I also watched it every couple year or two as an, you know, a young adult. But, uh, that's not the case with this one. I probably last saw this when I was like 12 or something. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I haven't seen it since then. (laughs) So, um, I'm very excited to revisit it, uh, where you can watch it as always check your local library, or if you still have a local video rental store, check with them. If you have a streaming subscription to HBO max, HBO, HBO, Amazon, uh,
1: that's what it
0: said. HBO, Amazon Prime, or Directv. I'm assuming it just means if you have HBO like
1: through through Amazon, Amazon Prime
0: or Directv,
1: probably would yeah. be my
0: guess. Or maybe it's just on Directv. I don't know. Um, but HBO, Amazon Prime, you can like add HBO yeah. to Amazon Prime, so I'm assuming that's what it means. Uh, and then finally, uh, you can do what we're going to be doing, which is you can rent it for three to four dollars on Fandango, Redbox, Apple TV, Amazon, YouTube, Vudu, Directv, etc. It's uh, yeah. That's what we'll be doing. We'll be yeah. renting it on the old Amazon, most likely. We don't
1: have any HBO subscriptions. Not because, currently, because we're not wealthy. Well,
0: <laughs> there's stuff I want to watch, there's but stuff it's I wanna just, watch. Uh, there is stuff to watch. But currently, no, we don't I'm have it. i just
1: poking fun because HBO Max still sells itself as like the bougie.
0: Thing. How much is HBO? Max? I, have no I have no idea. I know how much. I'm it just costs. poking fun. at I ever. was about to say we pay for like four <laughs> different streaming services, I know. so I don't know if that. <laughs> yeah, but uh. It, uh yeah, once Game of Thrones ended, it was we, we turned it off and haven't gone back yet.
1: <laughs> Not yet. Do you hear that, HBO?
0: <laughs> you lost us when you ruined Game of Thrones. Uh Anyways, that's what we got uh, for this prequel episode. Uh, as always, you can do a giant favor. Head over to patreon.com. Slice this film is lit. Support us for however much you want. You'll get a shout out at the beginning of every prequel episode and other stuff like bonus content and whatnot. Oh, we need to do one. Soon. yeah
1: we need to do one soon
0: for a march we'll be doing uh do you know what it is we will
1: do be doing tyler perry's acrimony
0: oh god okay so somebody's a good bad or bad bad fan and recommend i was actually shelby oh and yeah she and shelby is a good bad or bad is. bad fan so <laughs> that's why we're watching acrimony great would be my guess i don't know maybe acrimony maybe tyler perry's acrimony is great but based on my knowledge of tyler perry's what uh other film uh what was the one we did? I don't even remember um, what the name of the film we did for it
1: temptation, temptation, or something like that. Something
0: like that. It's a nightmare, and it's going to be very problematic. Hey, Can't wait.
1: At least that we can talk about some of the problematic oh, stuff.
0: I'm going to get really into it. It's going to be fun. <laughs> uh, so that'll be our uh, our March bonus episode. Is a it's going to be a roast of t- most likely of Tyler Perry's acrimony. <laughs> Uh, yeah, uh, And uh, also you can follow us on social media Like I said, comment, and l- l- give us your feedback On the 80s movie discussion uh, The tra- traumatizing film discussion And all that good stuff mm-hmm. We'll be back in one week's time With April at Mansky From No Such Thing as a Bad Movie Pod To discuss The Never-Earning Story Part 2 The next chapter Until that time, guys, gals, non-binary Everybody else Keep reading books, keep watching movies And keep, and keep being awesome, awesome.